0: I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details.
2: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring
4: Ridiculous Romance is a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Ooh. And We have to put a quarter laughing? in a
1: jar every time we say, so yeah.
4: <laughs> our so yeah jar. So yeah. So yeah.
1: So well, now we've made
4: 75 cents. <laughs> yeah. Here's There's a dollar.
1: the episode. I'm Diana. And I'm Eli.
4: This podcast is going to save our marriage because we're going to get to a point where we're like, ugh, I'm done with you, but... Still want to do the show. <laughs> yeah, but
1: I feel like the podcast is going to be what pushes us to I'm Done With You. Oh, shit. So it will both be the destruction and salvation of this ridiculous relationship.
4: Oh, huh. it's like the Stay puffed Marshmallow Man. Sorry? In Ghostbusters. Right. seems both the destruction and the salvation oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah. of New York City.
1: I needed some clarity in salvation that side of it because I saw the destruction that was very clear. Salvation was interpretive,
4: I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was the salvation in that they picked a threat that they could handle. They handled it.
1: Wait, are you quoting destruction and salvation from the movie, or did you come up with that?
4: I came up with it. Oh, I okay. Just, I thought you it was said like destruction, salvation, and I thought of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man for some reason. That's
1: very strange. Well. I thought that. Um, I'm very strange. No, definitely. I love it. <laughs> I just thought that when you sit because you know the movie really well, Zul said, you know, this shall be our destruction and salvation. Anyway, you get the idea.
4: I get it. Uh, I no. thought it was
1: a reference, but it's not. It's just it out not. of your brain. Just
4: my brain. Straight
1: up. That's where you went. Coming up with
4: stuff. Making connections.
1: Well, in that case, it was interpretive.
4: Hmm. Great. Cool.
1: Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Don't forget to check us out every week (laughs) right here on TBS. Very funny.
4: (laughs) Oh, God. So, yeah. Uh, That's (laughs) (laughs) $1.25. Well, I'm very excited about today's story. We are talking about a 16th century Sufi Muslim poet and weaver who is regarded as a saint. His name is Shah Hussein. And he fell in love with a much younger Hindu boy named Lal. They're better known now as just one name, Lal Hussein. Their shrine is both their graves side by side. And Hussein's death anniversary, or Ur's, is celebrated in a three-day festival that involves singing, dancing, wine, and smoking hashish. And there's nothing really ridiculous about their relationship, but it's really fascinating for a lot of reasons. And, um... I mean, Pakistan is distinctly unfriendly to gay relationships, which we'll get into later. But uh, it's almost more unbelievable that these two were Muslim and Hindu than that they were two men. So there's a lot of layers to this. So let's get into it. Hey there friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance,
3: we'll put it in a show Ridiculous Romance.
1: So I don't know if we just want to start right off the bat and just announce that, you know, I am not, and I don't know about you, but unless you've not told me something, neither of us is Muslim or Hindu or in any way, shape, or form from anywhere near the Middle East, nor were any of our ancestors, so... Mm
4: -hmm. I did go to Egypt once. That's the closest I've been, Right, I could say.
1: Quite a trip. So you've been to Egypt.
4: I have been Uh, to Egypt. That's it.
1: And this doesn't give us any more authority, but we are super interested in this story. Mm -hmm. We, of course, want to make sure that we diversify our stories here on this show a little bit.
4: Yeah, so true.
1: So we're really excited to tell this story. That being said, we might flub our pronunciations. Uh, so we're, we're coming at this uh, as best we can and uh, mm-hmm. try to do as much research, diligent research from the region as possible. Right.
4: So apologies to any Middle Eastern listeners who might be screaming at us <laughs> the way we're <laughs> pronouncing these names. I'm very sorry. But it's a great story. I love it. So Shah Hussein, he was born in 1538 in the city of Lahore which is in what's now known as Pakistan. At the time, I think it was the Punjabi region of South India, but it wasn't Pakistan yet. His father was an Islamic convert and enrolled him in this local school where he started to memorize the Quran. That's how they did it. It was just kind of by rote. You memorized the Quran until you knew it by heart. And there's a story that when he was 10, his mentor asked him to get some fresh water. And by the river, he was blessed by Al-Qadir, the green one. And after that, he was able to recite the entire Quran, even though he had only memorized a portion of it.
1: So this um, this is like somebody walks up to me and is like, give me the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, "Sure, Bing, bang, boom, and I list them all off. i I have I don't think I've ever read them end to end. So I think there's some
4: weird ones in there <laughs> that nobody ever remembers, but tens
1: a pretty shabby number to pick for rules that govern all of humanity, right?
4: I feel like could be more,
1: but we're getting into the wrong religion, true at any rate, you you learn a little bit of it, and then all of a sudden you know the whole thing, yeah, from a from a blessing,
4: yeah. That's pretty. It's like good. if you are plugged into the Matrix. Oh
1: man, I was just gonna make that reference. I knew I you were. I love that you did. <laughs> uh, totally. I need. L- I hey, quick! I need to know how to ride this motorcycle. And Al Qadir shows up, snaps his fingers, does a dance, and boom, you can recite the Quran. And you're like, this isn't what I asked for, but this is. I'll find. <laughs> this will be useful in some way as well. <laughs>
4: I was like, man, I wish I had had an Al-Qadir in school, (laughs) which just blessed me and I knew everything on the test. Mm -hmm. Be pretty dope. But I guess there was probably something pretty special about Shah Hussein to be blessed by the green one. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily anyone that goes to the river gets a blessing. So when he's 36, Hussein read this passage in the Quran. Hearken ye folks, this world is a play and a show, a display of pageantry, pride, and boasting between yourselves and competing with one another for greater wealth and number of children. Oof, true, and that's biting, but true. (laughs) Naveed Alam, a literature professor who translated Hussein's poems in his book Verses of a Lowly Fakir, says, the words resonated so deeply with Hussein that he broke into a spontaneous dance of self-liberation. From this point onwards, he would not play the game for the sake of any success in the world, material or spiritual, but would rather become the amused player who treats the world as what it is, an ephemeral playground.
1: Harken ye folks, this world is a play and a show. Very All the World's a Stage. Yeah, right? I
4: totally thought the same thing. Uh,
1: I don't know if Shakespeare ever read the Quran. But anyway... Um, not quite the same point he was making i just love that like you know he's just reading through the Korana. this is interesting this is interesting here's a good passage i like that whoa holy shit <laughs> oh i gotta dance
4: oh yeah oh
1: i am liberated <laughs> like what a wonderful feeling
4: well and how how better to express liberation than dance around
1: right i just love i just love that image of him just like throwing it down i'm sure he didn't throw it down I'm just I like, like reading that passage, <laughs> looking up at the sky, and just being like, "I gotta dance," being so excited. I mean, like you know, if you like, if I won the lottery, I would dance. You oh, know, spontaneously. Yeah. True. That kind of level of excitement, like just the like
4: spiritual lottery. He won. He yeah. found. He found that piece that really made oh, it work for him. Man. So he won the spiritual lottery.
1: Is that a better payoff? Uh,
4: I guess it depends on your point of view. (laughs) Are you an earthly man or a heavenly man? (laughs) (laughs) So because of his spiritual epiphany, he became a Malamatiya adherent. Malamatiya followers basically believe in humiliating their egos so they can get closer to true spiritual transcendence. You're not supposed to try for greatness or even social acceptance. Like even praying in front of people was like a way to make them think you looked real holy or something. So even that was, like, frowned on. There's a great story about a Malamati who entered a village and people were treating him like a saint, following him around. I mean, like, tell us stuff so that we can learn from you. And he started urinating into the streets so people would turn away from him, which was probably pretty effective. (laughs) I know that that would work very well on me.
1: (laughs) This sort of idea, like, don't look at me. I'm not this—I'm not God. Right. Right? Don't worship me. Mm -hmm. Don't come to me and think that I have all the answers. If you put too much focus on me, then you're not putting your focus on God, I guess, is kind of the mentality here. Right.
4: Yeah. Although I did see a blog or something that was written that was kind of like saying that by humiliating your ego and like trying so hard to have people turn away from you was kind of being really self. Like kind of really turned in on yourself and thinking still about yourself and your own behavior and how you appear in the world. So it technically isn't getting you any close. But what, you know, I mean, people are going to argue points forever and ever about religion. So we're not going to we're not going to make a judgment on that. You
1: can I feel like you can get pedantic about it Mm -hmm. from any angle. You can be. Yeah. Sure.
4: So but what's, what's cool about that is that social censure for his love of for a young boy would not only not be a problem for Hussein, but it might be part of the attraction to having a gay relationship is that people wouldn't like it, you know, and they'd be like, oh, we can't follow you anymore. And he'd be like, great, now I'm a better Malamati because mm-hmm. people are paying less attention to me.
1: That's part of the discourse about him. Mm-hmm. Like that comes mm-hmm.
4: up. Yeah. I don't think anybody's questioning if they were really in love or anything like that. But right. it, was, it was certainly, like, pointed out that, like, that could be kind of part of it was like, oh, I could do this. And people would definitely have an opinion about it. And mm-hmm. it might, you know, help me be more holy, I guess.
1: Do you know what I need is my... What? <laughs> Did you hear that? Mm. Oh, it's my headphones then. What? She said,
4: please charge me. Your headphones My headphones
1: just... She said that in my ears.
4: Oh, please charge me. Jeez.
1: So here's what I need. I'm going to have to go get it. I need some water and I need a different set of headphones. Oh, okay. As I need to apparently, please charge me <laughs> for these. Uh, we'll be right cuz it's time for a commercial break anyway. <laughs> We're at 11 minutes, so we'll be right back after this.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast. Is going on a road trip.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
4: And we are back. We got headphones. We got water. And we got Shah Hussain. Um, he developed quite a reputation. Alam says, a rebel fakir dressed all in red, bearing a wine flask in one hand and an earthen bowl in another.
1: That's, uh, that was my senior picture. Oh, Actually, yeah, in high school, I had a, a wine flask in one hand and an earthen bowl in the other.
4: I hope the wine flask was full of water or something. Yeah,
1: no, I graduated high school at 27. Oh, so wow.
4: <laughs> I thought you were so much smarter than that.
1: No, no. I'm learning turns too out I'm, much about you. <laughs> I'm a big dummy. All right, so unlike Jesus, who turned water into wine... Uh, Hussein turned wine into a non-alcoholic beverage. So there's cool. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, it's cool to be able to do it. I would certainly be impressed. Mm-hmm. But I might be like, that was I like a $14 bottle of wine. wine.
4: <laughs> yeah, there's another legend that the Emperor Akbar was not impressed by his wine-to-water miracle.
1: Yeah, any drunk can turn wine into water. I see them releasing themselves in the street every day. <laughs> Take him away.
4: <laughs> Emperor Akbar, who is played by Rip Torn in this movie. <laughs> Terrible casting. <laughs> Look, I got a
1: narrow range of voices. So they sent him to prison for that. But then his likeness appeared to a harem attended by royal ladies. And Akbar suddenly believed his credentials in the, as a saint and they set him free.
4: Yeah, I guess because he was in his cell. Right. And the ladies are seeing him in a totally different place. Yeah. So he's like, well, I guess... You're not just turning wine into urine, you're, you're like, appearing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which, either miraculous or phenomenal trick. The right. old, like, he's in prison, so he had to sneak out, go up here to this harem of young ladies, and then sneak back into prison. Because breaking back into prison is the hard part. True,
4: very true. Breaking maybe out, it's like I a see it trick. in
1: the movies all the time, but... A mirror trick? He <laughs> yeah. had like 16 mirrors. mirrors lined up throughout the palace.
4: Well, I think he appeared. He's a saint and he appeared.
1: But, but in the year 1590, he was 54 years old. And this is the first time he saw 16-year-old Sheikh Lal, who is only described as a Hindu boy of matchless beauty. And it was love at first sight, according to some.
4: Yeah, some resources are very clear that it was romantic love. Uh, But others say they were lifelong friends or had a spiritual love, but not a sexual one. I don't know. I think it was sexual personally because some of the poems that he wrote mention motto by name. Um, And there's one very romantic one that mentions a male lover. We're going to go on down to our ridiculous romance poetry corner where we're going to hear from Shah Hussein. Don't forget to tip your bartender.
1: My lover grabbed my arm. Why would I ask him to let go? Dark night, drizzling, painful. The approaching hour of departure. You'll know what love's all about once it seeps into your bones. Why dig a well in brackish soil? Why sow a seed in sand? You, who are making giant leaps, one day you'll be leapt over, my man, says Hussein, the humble fakir. Look into the lover's eyes. And let the gaze remain interlocked.
4: That is beautiful, by the way. But they didn't sound anything like that, of course, because there was no uh, beatnik coffee shop at the time.
1: They weren't in English. They weren't of in course. English.
4: That was a Navid Alam translation. Um, they were also set to music and uh usually sung so i totally recommend going on youtube and looking up a coffee and hearing it because it's very special it's different um and apparently it it could change the meaning of the poem like Mm. how what what they chose to uh, emphasize and stuff like that so um anyway they're they're really cool yeah Uh, and that that type of poem is called a coffee i think k-a-f-i a coffee poem
1: Currently, it is illegal to be gay in Pakistan, uh, at least as of the recording of this episode. It's harder to say about 1538 Punjab. The Kama Sutra has explicit instructions for homosexual acts, so we know they were thinking about it. True. Somebody was doing it. And we also found that Emperor Barber, emperor of the Mughal dynasty, had references to his erotic love for a teenage boy in his memoirs. That was 1529. And like many South Asian nations in Pakistan, there's a commonly accepted notion of a third gender that is neither man nor woman. So being transgender is fairly well tolerated there. And even in 2018, uh, they added some broad civil rights protections for transgender people in their laws. So so that's good. Uh, But but is currently, if I understand correctly, is currently illegal to be gay.
4: Yeah, that's apparently the Brits' fault when they came in to colonize. They brought their own laws with them, and part of that was making homosexuality illegal. Now their law is a mixture of Anglo-Saxon and Islamic law, and apparently gay Pakistanis can be subject to secular punishment like prison, religious punishment like whipping or stoning, or both.
1: So you're telling me that the English— Came into a region that ain't had nothing to do with, started changing things, and made it worse?
4: I know it's hard to believe. This is
1: outrageous.
4: Hard to believe. Point point to me one other
1: time in history where that happened, and I will—my jaw will be on the floor.
4: Yeah, it's not even really talked about in their politics at all. A lot of people object to gay marriage or gay relationships, period, on religious grounds, which is a very familiar argument— Um, sociologists Stephen O. Murray and Badruddin Khan wrote in their book, Sex Longing and Not Belonging, that the penal laws are rarely enforced, but often used by police and private citizens as a form of blackmail. If Mato and Hussein were alive and together today, it's likely they'd be socially censured for their love, but as we talked about, he was Malamati, so that wouldn't have really bothered them, and his intentional poverty made him hard to blackmail so, I'm not sure how much, if, if any, you know, day to day persecution they faced at the time. Uh, it's kind of hard to find stuff about that.
1: Shah Hussein loved Mato so much that he changed his name officially to Mato Lal Hussein. That was their combined names, so they'd be unified forever. So, that was a reference to both of them. They were a single unit with one name, a combination of those two names.
4: Yeah, and it had the unintended side effect of making it hard for a podcast host to find anything about Madho's life, since all the research is about Hussein. <laughs> but I guess that didn't occur to him in 1590 for some reason. Yeah,
1: they weren't worried about their, um, yeah. their SEO.
4: Yeah, they, they weren't like, how, how are people going to search for this? Well, if we
1: combine our names, nobody be able to find our Facebook profiles. <laughs> oh, just, oh, well, I suppose they would have had a joint profile, like some couples do. <gasps> oh, cute.
4: I mean mm, it's not really. I'm
1: not into it now.
4: <laughs> no. There was a cool thing written about how they put their names together because he was a weaver, so they were talking about how he you oh. know he's like combining like weaving their lives together and their names Brilliant. together and everything about them together. So they might actually like very much that you can't find much about them separately because that was the idea.
1: So this was kind of the um the benefer of, of their the, day, the Brangelina.
4: <laughs> Brangelina of their day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> These guys were not the Brangelina of their day in <laughs> so many ways.
4: So, many. so different. But I guess, I mean, they were a little bit of a celebrity. They got.
1: They wanted to be thought of as a unit. In
4: 1593, Mado embraced Islam and converted. Hussein was his spiritual mentor. They had something like 10,000 followers. That didn't seem to mean much because of the whole Malamati thing. When someone wanted to be initiated by Hussein, he would just say, shave your head and drink an earthen bowl of wine with me, which has invited Dionysian comparisons.
1: I want to bring up an elephant that I feel like is in the room. Okay. Okay. Um, Shah Hussein was 54 years old when they met. Uh, Matolal was 16. Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. And then the kid converted to his religion. Mm-hmm. So there is an angle for, through a modern lens, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a modern Western lens that we have right here between us, that this might be considered a sort of grooming, um, that there's like something kind of uncomfortable about this as well. I mean, I know we're talking about it as a beautiful story, but I think there is a kind of a an element that's like, Ooh, a little, a little, eh, I'm not sure.
4: Right. And I think when they met too, Shah Hussein was already kind of, being seen as a saint and this spiritual man and right. I mean since he was ten, you so know, people are like, he's been blessed and he's this you he know He came
1: into this relationship with a lot of power.
4: Yeah. Which is why I was trying to find stuff about Mato before he ever got with Shah Hussein, because it right. was kinda like maybe you know, how did he meet him? Was he trying to convert? Because there were there were people, you know, interested in converting at that time, like right. Shah Hussein's own father and everything. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know.
1: And I certainly, we don't know what a 16 year old boy in the region in the time, mm-hmm. you know, may have had a full time job and been, you know, a very independent adult for thinking person. Right. But, uh, but yeah. did want to address that. Sure. Because it is kind of a, again, we're approaching this as a very like kind of beautiful romance, but you could look at it and be like, it's kind of not Okay.
4: Yeah, I think in the 21st century, it would be a lot harder to be like, oh, that's nice right. <laughs> to to see. But yeah, you want to think in that time period all over the world, people were kind of coming of age much, much younger sure. than uh, than they are now. So it's kind of just a totally different thing, not only culturally in in that culture, but in general in the world, I think age stuff was very different I don't know right. it's it's a weird one
1: yeah and, and from and, and,
4: a 21st century lens it's a weird one
1: right and of course we're just approaching this like telling the story mm-hmm. uh, we certainly don't have the education or the experience to speak on things like that but uh, but worth bringing up I, I'm sure I'm sure people would be listening to this thinking the fuck this is not okay
4: but yeah at least what I've read it seemed to be very pure but, of course, again, we're looking at it from a, just a totally different And who wrote
1: that? You know, yeah, right.
4: <laughs> oh, right. Well, you know. <laughs> a good point.
1: But, actually, we will get more into Mato's own life uh, when we come back from our commercial break. So, we'll get into that right after this.
4: Yeah.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
3: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
0: (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
2: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring Go find it now and hit follow. Okay,
0: round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry?
3: Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Jumma. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
3: J-j-j-j-jumma.
0: Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: We are back from our break, and we're talking about Shah Hussein and Lal. Now, um, Hussein died at the age of 63 in 1599, so they really only got nine years together. And Mado became the leader of Hussein's 10,000-some followers until he died at 73 in 1647 and was buried next to him. And it says that he secluded himself in Hussein's temple for the rest of his life, which means he spent 48 years alone. That's devotion. Right. Would you if I drop dead just now, would you seclude yourself for the next 48 years?
1: I would seclude myself for 48 minutes. Oh, wow. And then and then I would want to be near friends uh for 48 hours. <laughs> and then um and then I would have to look at the list and see who's next.
4: There's a list?
1: Yeah. Tilda Swinton. Oh, right. That uh, list. <laughs> Natalie Portman. Chris Hemsworth. Mhm. Letitia Wright, and then and then um, and then we just and then we just and then we just cut through the MCU like there's a ranking there
4: until you find one that says yes. Until <laughs> I find
1: somebody that says <laughs> the first yes,
4: first person who says yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah.
1: What about me? If I pieced out. I mean, oh, would I seclude years? myself
4: for forty-eight years? I doubt it. I know you I can't it. seclude.
1: You could barely seclude yourself this year from the That's raging pandemic. <laughs> no, but you were itching.
4: I don't know how many dates I'd go on. I, I don't know that I would be trying real hard for another romantic relationship. It's the
1: same list. <laughs> Natalie Portman,
4: Letitia yeah, Wright. I mean, Kate Blanchett's on my Kate list.
1: Blanchett. Oh, Kate Blanchett is, of course, on my list. She's um, tied with Tilda Swinton.
4: Chris Hemsworth, certainly. Chris yeah. Pine, Chris Evans. Oh,
1: you got the Chris's, right? Oh, yeah, I, I got, got all my up. Chris's. Chris Pratt isn't on there. No. Um, That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's running his mouth too much.
4: True. Yeah. So,
1: uh, but but at any rate, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about. I mean, this guy spent the next 48 years of his adult life continuing this man's, you know, worship.
4: Kind of his legacy, yeah, I guess. It does
1: seem like, you know, this was something that was really passionate to him. It wasn't, I mean, you could argue about whether or not that grooming just lasts throughout life or that kind of thing. But I think.
4: Yeah, he was pretty much like, I'm in, you know, and he stayed in even after Shah was gone. And the coffees that Shah Hussein wrote are still sung today and have appeared in some Bollywood films. That's um, cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And their love story continues to resonate because the two defied social norms and exemplified the concept of universal love.
1: And again, we mentioned this earlier, but the fact that they were a Muslim and a Hindu was almost more shocking than the fact that they were two men.
4: This situation is very complex. Could be a multi-episode podcast on its own. Right. But here's a very short and expert summary of the situation between India and Pakistan. Oh, again, Yikes. Go ahead. Let, Welcome give it to, to us. the world affairs class. Diana
1: Banks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it.
4: Okay. So India and Pakistan were once one country. Mm-hmm. They had some conflict within because they were the two major religions jockeying each other. And besides that, they have Sikhs and Buddhists and Jains and so on. So it's a pretty tough conflict to settle. You can't just be like, we're a Hindu nation, that's it. There's too many factions or whatever to be doing that. And then in 1947, the British split the country into majority Hindu India and Muslim Pakistan. And the resulting 70 years of conflict is often blamed on the Brits. But I saw a Diplomat article that argued that it was inevitable for the region to be in conflict due to the 1000s year history of relations between Hindus and Muslims in South Asia. And that they kind of were like the idea of a two-nation state was already being kicked around before the Brits ever got there and that it's almost condescending to say that as soon as they stepped in it kind of ruined everything um that's even
1: that that is kind of giving credit to the to the brits that they that they don't deserve
4: Right, yeah. I'm sure they didn't help anything. <laughs> they rarely did, <laughs> very rarely. But uh, they got some spices out of it, I guess.
1: Yeah, they helped themselves to better <laughs> yeah, they food helped
4: themselves, <laughs> and then didn't use it anyway. Uh, <laughs> we won't get into that. But anyway, did not seem to help much that they split it into a two-nation state, um, because there's this highly populous region called Kashmir that was supposed to go to Pakistan in the original British deal. But at the time, they had a Hindu, Maharaja, who said, India, if you protect me, you can have Kashmir. You need to protect me from these Pakistan Muslim invaders. So three wars were fought over Kashmir until in 1972, a UN-monitored ceasefire created the line of control, partly controlled by India, partly by Pakistan, and then there's a less populated part of this high-altitude area that's controlled by China. Um, And since then, it didn't work. (laughs) It didn't really work. Since then, they have faced off over the LOC because India says the whole place is theirs and that the Pakistani claims are not legitimate because they're terrorists and they're using terrorist violence to kind of stake their claim. And Pakistan argues that the majority of people who live in india controlled Kashmir are Muslim, and if they were given a choice, they would be part of Pakistan. And their dispute is a big deal to the whole world because they both tested nukes in 1998. So it was real uneasy over there, to say the least. Fun. And the Diplomat article I mentioned before quotes the founder of Pakistan, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, as saying, Hindus and Muslims neither intermarry nor eat together, really stressing the differences between their worldviews, religion, society, and everything. Would make it impossible for them to coexist in a single state.
1: But long before Jinnah was founding Pakistan based on that idea, and long before the nukes were going off and anybody even thought about it, a Hindu and a Muslim did eat together and basically married each other and formed one person under one name. So still today, they stand as an example of love and harmony being found between Muslims and Hindus.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: In fact, the three-day Festival of Lights that we mentioned at the top of the episode used to be two separate celebrations, according to an article on Dawn. The Ur's Death Anniversary and Mela Festival were two separate events, one carried out at the shrine and the other was at the adjacent Shalimar Gardens until they were combined into one, Mela Chirigan, Festival of Lamps, by the 18th century ruler Ranjit Singh. The spring Mela, revered by the Hindus, and Ur's, celebrated by the Muslims, signified union and harmony among the two faiths when combined into one celebration, remembering the bond of Shah Hussain and Madolal. I think that's beautiful. That's quite lovely.
1: When two become one, just like the Spice Girls sang. Wow. You know, speaking of the Brits coming in and ruining everything, oh, we're going to bring the, spi- the, Brit- the Spice Girls in to ruin hey, the end of the episode. Spice
4: World, okay. <laughs> the Spice World. But where did they get that spice? Great question. India. India.
1: Thanks a lot. They didn't
4: have no ginger spice before they went into <laughs> India, I guess.
1: I mean, I guess they had ginger, but they they Peppety. didn't have... But I think they had, what, salt? Pepper. And maybe they had black pepper, and they barely used it.
4: hmm They salted meat. To this meat day. To, like... Preserve it because there was no refrigeration.
1: I don't know. We went pretty hard after the Brits this yeah. episode, but yeah, they, they can handle they're it. They're fine. They're doing okay. <laughs> I mean, they're not doing as good as they were, Aww. but that's probably for the best.
4: <laughs> but anyway, I, th- I just think this is such a cool story. It's such a, a romance that just sings through the ages, you know? It's yeah. still so important to that region for that reason just about peace and harmony and love mm-hmm. and finding something to love about one another even if you don't agree on everything um i'm sure that there's people who are like well he did con- he did convert so it's not like a hindu and a muslim were together right. the whole time it was right kind of two muslims were together but still i think obviously that still matters a lot yeah it's a, just a beautiful story
1: and like all great stories, there are definitely some things you kind of turn a blind eye to, <laughs> like the age gap, which, mm-hmm. again, is super uncomfortable. And um, I guess that's really the main one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, I guess urinating in the streets. That's not been a part of our <laughs> beautiful stories that we've told to this point.
4: Yeah. Um,
1: but maybe it'll come up more.
4: Maybe Tune more in next week and maybe you'll hear
1: a beautiful story about Tilda Swinton and her life partner, <laughs> Doing an art piece, the urinate in the streets. At any rate, it's a cool story. And you know what? It's a, a, one of the stories we've told so far that doesn't end uh, horribly.
4: <laughs> that's true.
1: we <laughs> just we always actually nice. just, just a romance. Just
4: a romance. A romance. Yeah. Ridiculous
1: in its own right. I, but it's like ridiculous in a positive way, like breaking the norms,
4: mm-hmm.
1: uh, challenging social structures, mm-hmm. religions coming together. That's That's kind of ridiculous.
4: Right. Well, and depending on your opinion about war, that's pretty ridiculous that right. people are fighting over an imaginary border that was never there in the first place. And now it there arbitrarily drawn and they're having a whole bunch of death and murder over it. But, you know, <laughs> that's a that's another story.
1: No, real quick. Before we go, I want to solve the uh, India-Pakistan crisis.
4: Oh, OK. So go for let's, it. Um... I'd love to hear <laughs> Ambassador Eli's. <laughs> E-ladings. Listen, let
1: me tell you something. The you go over recognizes. here and you go over there and everybody put your hands in your pockets and we're gonna have a good time. Hmm. Has anybody ever said that? Has anybody ever gone over there and said that? I guess that's what the white people did.
4: Oops. And it didn't work out. <laughs> it
1: didn't. So maybe work. we should
4: keep our big fat noses out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well just then. don't don't put off any nukes, like that's, That's when it becomes a yes. problem for everybody. So other yes. than that, it's kind of like
1: no one's saying it's not complicated. But it's
4: not for me to figure out.
1: It's not certainly not for us to decide. No. But let's keep the atoms unsplit. So long story short, figure it out, guys. Let's ac- get it all, together all huh? across the globe. You know what? Nations across the world. Right. Let's 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 stop. Okay. Let's okay. just stop the fighting. Let's just figure it out.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, is it so hard? Yeah. Yes, it is. is. It, is, so it hard. is hard. Damn it, I really thought we were going to solve it that time.
4: <laughs> Not today. Sorry, guys. We better Maybe leave next before time. we
1: cause an international incident. Ooh. So you can reach out to us, please be kind, uh, at romance <laughs> at iheartmedia.com.
4: Yep, or slide into the DMs. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Diana Boom.
1: Uh, And I'm at, oh, great, it's Eli.
4: And don't forget to follow and like and share and give us some five-star reviews and all that good stuff.
1: Special thanks this week to everyone who helped us get this show off the ground. Ben Bolin and Noel Brown and the whole Ridiculous team at iHeartRadio.
4: Also, John Rigney, Brian and Mariel Gomez-Bauer, and Cherry Del Rosario and Jason Mallory.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thank
4: you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye so long friends it's time to go thanks for listening to our show tell your friends neighbors uncles and aunts to listen to our show ridiculous
3: romance i'm katia adler host of the global story over the last 25 years i've covered conflicts in the middle east political and economic crises in europe drug cartels in mexico work.